Well, uh, today, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to John 17. I've got a lot of scriptures for you today, and today I really want to share a message uh, from the heart, you know. Uh, this, this is, um, you know, some people may ask us, you know, I heard, a, I heard a pastor once say, he said, wow, he's a Florida pastor, you know, and a lot of pastors move to Florida late in their lives, you know, and they think, um, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to kind of pastor into my retirement. And so when summer comes, they think like a snowbird, right? Uh, they think, wow, man, I can't wait for summer to get here because they just kind of put it on cruise control over the summer. And then, you know, I've had conversations with some of those pastors who say, oh, well, what are you guys, uh, what are you guys, what are you doing this summer? Where are you going? I said, where am I going? No, you mean, what am I doing? I said, because we got a kids camp, and then a couple weeks later, we have a, a foster kids care camp that we're doing with all these volunteers, over 200 people coming to kids camp, a whole bunch of people, 80 plus people every day treating uh, foster kids like they're a mission trip. He goes, and the day, the weekend we get back from foster kids care camp, we're going to go and reach thousands of people down in Inverness, and then we're going to take a breath for four days and load up two buses full of students and goes, go to Wise, Virginia, and we're going to do camp impact for students, and then we're going back to school. <sighs> and then we'll breathe. And people ask, you know, why this kind of schedule? Why? Why, why would you do that? And here's, here's the real reason why. Because we are determined as a church to be a blessing to this community. For far too long, the church has been looked at as only something that draws resources from a community. We are determined to say we are going to be a blessing in this community. Now, now for those who, who've been around Calvary for a while, you know our heart. You may be brand new here today and you say, well, you know, I'm just kind of feeling this place out. I don't know much about this place. You say, you come in and you, you kind of see the worship and you, you question why. Why is worship so expressive? Well, here, here's why. You, you would understand it if you knew our mission. You could find it on our website and your seat backs. It's everywhere. Our mission is together extravagantly love Jesus and selflessly love others. So we're, we're going to what? Extravagantly love Jesus. Not just say, I love Jesus. We're not going to give a tepid devotion to God. We're not going to be tepid followers of Christ. Leaders in here, business owners, influencers in this county, you need to hear me on this. Listen, tepid leaders produce tepid followers. Lukewarm leaders produce lukewarm followers. We at Calvary, we're called to be extravagant lovers of Jesus. Where people go, man, you really love Jesus. Yeah, we do. We really love him. And then we, we say, yeah, we're, and we're, we're going to, out of that love for Jesus, we're going to selflessly love people. Now, that's big, broad culture. You know, that's the culture of what you've walked into uh, here today. But there's something more 
personal that we want every one of you to experience. And if I could just share my heart with you, 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 you need to know this. What I'm about to say, this is what your pastor wants to see in every one of you. We state it clearly, say it often. The vision here, make no mistake, is to see every person saved, healed, empowered, and launched into their calling. Listen, I, I, I love that, that more and more people are coming to Calvary and finding a place uh, to, to, to call home as a church. But listen, if you come to this place and you never make a decision to follow Christ, if you have never repent of your sins and surrender your life to Jesus, we missed the mark. We've actually, we've actually fallen short because it is, first of all, our desire. It's really a lot like that little foster girl. Uh, our desire is that we would be in heaven together. And the only way that that happens is if all of us are born again through faith in Christ. It's by grace through faith, not of works. That's our desire. Every person saved, every person healed. Not only do we believe in physical healing, and God is doing that but we believe in the healing of the spirit through being saved and the healing of your emotions that you can actually begin to, to actually think like God thinks and, and begin to experience what God wants you to experience on the inside. You're not meant to live tormented, depressed, broken your whole life. There comes a time where, where, where God's word, if it is elevated and received with humility, it will begin to change your mindset. It will heal your mind. So we're, we believe God for every person to be saved and healed, empowered. That comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Empowerment from ministry comes from him. But you're also empowered by, by, by being discipled, by going on a journey and discovering how God has, has, has gifted you and wired you. That's why you're here. It's because you have a calling. And we don't want you to just know that you're called. We want you walking in that calling. We want you stepping into it. And as many found out last week, as they, they took time off from work and spent a full week giving themselves away for the sake of Christ to foster kids to the abused and the abandoned, they're like, man, this is what I was made for. To further the kingdom, to sow seeds of love and of God's words. I found it and I'm starting to walk in it. And that's our real desire, but how do you do that? Those are grand things. And by the way, if you ever look at our vision, none of that can happen without God. We rely totally on him. We can't save anyone. We can't heal anyone. We certainly can't empower anyone. And we are not the ones that will launch anybody into anything in any meaningful way those things, we rely on God and partner with him in prayer to see those things take place. So what's our job? Our job is to create environments. We really create environments where you and I, as people of Calvary who call Calvary home, we carry the cross to different areas of influence. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, the family is under attack. 
the nuclear family, that which has a father and a mother connected together in covenant marriage, that is under assault. And so we at Calvary have been saying it for years. The first place we're called to carry the cross is to the family. Your first ministry, you need to take what God does in here and take it home and let it change the atmosphere. Mom and dad, listen, you set the spiritual atmosphere of your home. God has anointed you to do it, and he will help you and show you how to create an environment. Where those things are fostered, where the kingdom of God is fostered in your family. But then God says, all right, I'm going to step you up a little bit, expand your influence. And he says, I want you to carry the cross to the church. And I know most of us think of the church as the place where the cross is carried to you. Because there's always somebody standing delivering a message. But I want to tell you that the church is far more than just a message. Far more than just worship sung or sermons taught. We are actually meant to carry the cross to the church. That means I'm carrying something that is meant to encourage my brothers and sisters. The scripture says, encourage one another while it's still called today. Lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is somebody in the church that needs the encouragement in you so they don't slip away into, into the deception of sin. Listen, that's why Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're to carry the cross to the church. There's a role of encouragement. We're to, we're to play with one another. But then it moves beyond. It moves beyond the walls of our homes and the walls of our gathering places to community, and to the world. And I wonder if on this day where God is giving us an opportunity to perhaps love on thousands, if we can't hear the voice of God speaking to us in a real way about how to be a blessing to this community. By the way, if you didn't realize this, Calvary is a church with a global call. We are called to carry the cross to the world without you even, even knowing it. You were sleeping, you had AC, you were driving around in your car with your $5 a gallon gas. <laughs> All while what you funded was the rebuilding of a church in Ghana. And the church being established and grown in Ghana. You say, I did that? Yes. You say, how did I do that? Drop down menu, world missions, $50. You say, I didn't know I was doing that. Your giving is impacting and your going is impacting and God is calling this church to be a blessing. And the idea of community, it's not a new one, but its importance is definitely on the rise. Our culture is forgetting the relational skills that's once held as central in our nation. We used to really take time to get to know people. We knew their families, hobbies, and interests and vocation because they lived nearby, not because they were our friends on Facebook. By the way, our online personas are not who we actually are. There will be a flood of picture-taking on this glorious July 4th weekend. 
But the scenes that lead up to the picture taking are not as glossy as the picture itself. Usually it looked like, get over here, stand right here, and you smile. We are going to look like we're having fun on vacation. (laughs) Back in my happy place, smiley face. You see, we text instead of talk. By the way, if anyone my age gets a hold of anyone younger than 21 and you hear a voice on the other end of the line, hang up, immediately proceed to laying hands on dead people. You're ready, okay? You've gotten the miracle. If you've gotten that young generation to talk to you on the phone, you are ready to raise the dead, okay? Miracles are happening. Go for it. We text instead of talk. There's a whole generation that's backing up from connection, and we need to say, God, help us recapture your heart for deep community And by the way, this was actually one of Jesus' final requests. In his great high priestly prayer in John 17, he talked about how important it is in his prayer to his father, how important oneness was, an actual connection was. Verse 20 in John 17 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I also in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. God wants the bride of Christ to be perfectly united with him. And and as the body of Christ to be perfectly united with each other. Now, uh, if we're... Uh, to take an honest look at this. I mean, those are that's a wonderful prayer, but there are some roadblocks. There's some stumbling blocks that commonly keep us from, from being a blessing in community or even walking in community at all. First one is this. Let's be honest. We're selfish. I mean, this is hardwired. Usually, the very first word a toddler can say beyond mama and dada is mine, mine, mine. It is hardwired, mine. We're selfish. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, that idea of self first, I'm going to display to you that this 
is actually the opposite of what God desired. Jesus, the Son of God, comes as the Son of Man. He lays down his rights. He becomes obedient, even unto death. That's what Philippians says. And before we get that mind of Christ, the admonition of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians church in Philippians 2, what he is addressing is selfishness. He says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what this means. It says if we're really going to selflessly love people, you're going to have to live on the lookout. You're going to have to live looking out. For the interests of others, I can promise you, foster children weren't coming to our doorstep, knocking on our door saying, hey, I've got a good idea. Why don't you guys build a camp for us? No, we had to be on the lookout for the interests of others. And if we're really going to be a people that starts to say we're going to we're going to overcome one of the the major stumbling blocks of real biblical community, we're going to have to say I'm not going to be selfish, I'm going to live on the lookout. I'm going to live looking out for the interests of others. Secondly, here's a here's a, I think this is probably in addition to selfishness, this is probably one of the, the, the greatest stumbling blocks is that we have no vision. We don't have a vision for, for, for ministering to other people. We don't have a vision for it. Meaning, meaning like a sense of God's purpose behind it. Sometimes we may do good things. We may ring a bell at Christmas time or serve in some capacity, but we don't really have a sense of being connected to God's purposes in doing it. We need to have vision. Proverbs 29, 18 in the New Living Translation says it this way. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. Proverbs 29, 18, you probably know it from the King James. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. New King James says it this way. It says, it says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. So here's what that means. All of us need a sense of God speaking to us so we're not just doing whatever we want to do. Because when you do what you want to do, you end up living a flesh-led life. And as we heard last week, the flesh has an inaccurate imagination. There's a way that seems right unto man, and ultimately it leads to destruction and death. Just by the show of hands, we're going to do a little exercise this morning. If you were not, and I repeat not, if you were not born 
and raised in Citrus County, raise your hand. Look around. Please, everyone, look around. All right. There's only one person in here not raising it. Randy Headley, born and raised. Okay. And, and my kids. My kids, born, born and raised. There's a few others. Most of them are kids. Why did I do that? Because God brought you here. Look around you. I know some of you thought, well, I'm just going to retire someplace. As I've said it many times, you know, when people move to a place with more trees than people, they're not looking to be around people. But would you just look around and see how God is literally drawing people from all over the United States, and not only all all over the United States, to this region, but even into this fellowship, you suddenly begin to see this can't be by mistake. There must be a purpose behind it. That's what Acts 17 actually says. Acts 17 verses... 26, it says, it says, and he from one blood made every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined, he, God, has determined our pre-appointed times and the boundaries of our dwellings so that we could seek the Lord and uh, in the hope that we might grope, that just means reach for the Lord and find him even though he is not far from us. From us. So listen to me. You are here because God brought you here in your pre-appointed time. Seniors, your time is not past. Your time is right now. This is your pre-appointed time by God to continue to have an influence for the kingdom. Young people, listen to me. Your time isn't coming. Your time is right now. The pre-appointed time. Listen, moms and dads who have houses still filled with kids, listen, I know you're thinking, once they get out of the house, I'll be able to do something. I totally get it. But my wife Last last week got deployed to Alaska fighting fires. So listen, I had a foster camp with royal family and four kids at home by themselves, their own foster camp, as I'm driving back and forth, okay? Don't tell me that you, you don't have an appointed time when you still got kids in the home. Listen, you've got an appointed time. You've only got this life. You've only got this moment. And he pre-appointed the boundaries of your dwelling. That means he brought you here for a purpose. And those purposes are not rooted in selfishness. Those purposes are rooted in the kingdom of God. Lots of time, most of the problem is, is that we're more connected to where we're from than where we are. I'm just going to let that settle for a moment. So, the problem for a lot of us is that we're more connected to where we're from than where we are. 
And when you start being more connected to where you are is when you start being a blessing to that community. When you start making a difference for the kingdom. So how does this lead us to the point where we say, okay, how do we make a difference in the community? And I'm just going to kind of share my heart over here in the next few moments. A few years ago, God whispered this. He says, I said, how do we, what's this? Okay, I get it. We have a strategy to carry the cross, but what does that mean? How do we really become a blessing as a church? And the Holy Spirit spoke so clearly to me. He said, you need to have a here and there strategy. A here and there strategy. This, we're talking about community, yeah, here and there. So how, how, how what, 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 do we, what do we do in here? What do we do here that's a blessing to the community? Well, the first thing that we do is we pray. See, Mark eleven seventeen, Jesus says these words, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves? See, we have to align ourselves with the identity that God has given us, and then people will see the value of that assembly. Listen, I believe that God wants to uh, use Calvary in a powerful way if we will choose to first be a people of prayer. Why? Because I want the word to get out that, hey, at Calvary they pray and God answers. And God moves. And God changes lives. Man, they pray and they see it. Why? Because that's the identity that God wants upon his bride. I know some people say, well, isn't the, isn't the goal of the church, isn't it just reaching the lost? Well, uh, yes, the goal of the church is reaching people who don't know Christ, but that's not our number one goal. Our number one goal is to actually live for the glory of God. We live for the glory of God and we receive from him our marching orders, our identity, and that is that we pray even before we see people make decisions for Christ. There's a movement of God in prayer. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. He says, And Jesus went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every, every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, prayer always precedes a great move of God. That's why we at the camp this last week, for those who were wearing those bracelets and praying over those names, we felt every prayer. We felt every prayer, every breakthrough. And I want to say, I cannot thank those enough. I got consistently sent messages from people saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for this. People were getting 
uh, stirred by the Holy Spirit at 3 a.m. I would get these homework texts in the middle of the night about what God was saying and what God was doing because God was stirring people to pray. And I want to say thank you for being a people of prayer because of that. These kids who were who uh, by all statistics look like they will they they will they will be uh, just complete failures. Many of them ending up in prison. I believe we're breaking those stats. We're breaking the course of failure in their lives by interjecting the love of God found in Christ and the body of Christ. And that happens, those miracle life-changing moments that are bigger than their traumas, they happen because we pray. God brings those changes. The second thing that we do here as a hub is we host God's presence. In the community, we host God's presence told this story a couple of times, so I'm losing track about how many times I, 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 I've told it, but I want everybody to hear it. Ministering to a young man on my, uh, on my vacation a week and a half ago in a park who had come to youth ministry over 10 years ago. He's talking to his girlfriend. They have a child together. And he says, Pastor Otis, and we start, start up a conversation, and he says, are you still in the church? I said, yes. And he goes, how's it going there? And I just started telling him all that God did. And he looks at his girlfriend, and he says this. He says, he says this man's church hits different. I'm like, man, we got to put that on a flyer. Calvary hits different. And what he was saying in his own way is that when he walked in this place as a teenager, he didn't just experience games and laughter and fun. He experienced the presence of God. And 10 years later, late at night, as I'm just trying to fish and mind my own business on vacation, this guy gets stirred up remembering, oh, there was a place that was hosting God's presence. And this is what he said. I've got to get my girlfriend there. I've got to get my little daughter back to the presence of God. You see, when you host God's presence, it meets a real need for a community that doesn't know how near he is. Acts 17 says that we could reach him and find him even though he's not far from us. Listen, church, can you imagine the thought that if he's not far from us, they don't know how close he is. So we host his presence. And our prayer is that his presence would mark our preaching. His presence would mark our worship. That his presence would mark our coffee. His presence would mark our announcements. His presence will mark our camps, our, our host team. We want God's presence to mark everything. Why? Because in Exodus 33... Moses says these profound words. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, God, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known 
That your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. Listen, the presence of God is what we host here. We worship the way we worship because when we draw near, he comes. And we believe even as people are walking in and out of the parking lot, the chains break. The demonic assault comes to a stop and they walk into a place and they can hear clearly, see clearly, and turn to Christ in his grace. We host his presence here. I have more to say, but for the sake of time, I would also add to that is we welcome everyone here. Everyone. Every race, every tongue, every tribe. We do not put up with nonsense. Racism is not welcome here. Do you hear me? Racism is not welcome here. It's not ever welcome. This place will always look like every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. Listen, this place welcomes everyone. We need some Latino fire. Come on. Somebody's testifying in the back. Yes, we do. Man. And, and all these white people need help with rhythm, so pray. Pray. Pray for us in Jesus' name. Everyone is welcome here. Why? Because the gospel breaks down every one of those walls. Every one of those walls. Male, female, red, yellow, black, white. Listen, it also breaks down economic barriers. The gospel breaks all of those down. So here in this way, this is what we do. Everyone's welcome. Everyone is welcome. But what do we do there? What do we do outside of these walls? First thing is we gather. You say, wait, that sounds a lot like church. Yeah, but outside the walls, we, we do something here called life groups where we gather intentionally outside the four walls of the church. Where people gather in their homes and your housing associations are going to write you letters about all the people parking on your street and in your driveways. And some of you are like, I would never live in that neighborhood. Y'all come on. Y'all park, park in my grass, you know. And, and, and you're, you, you have to answer questions to your neighbors. Why are there so many, how, why are there so many cars at your house on a Tuesday night? You're like blocking the road in your driveway. So what is going on on Tuesday night? Well, we're worshiping and we're praying and we're studying and we're just gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We gather purposefully out there. Why? Because your neighborhood is your mission field. And we want to be an influence there. And listen, I would say that it would go even beyond life groups, which we want everybody to be involved in. But then there's, then there's um, uh, you know, we need to be involved with other people from other churches. So that's why you see us as a staff, we're praying for one another. That's why we do uh, community worship nights. Recently we had one with young adults and we, we gather for those worship nights with other churches. And you say, you know, uh, you know, aren't you afraid that other people might go to another church? Absolutely not. And here's why. None of you belong to me. You don't belong to me. Even if you're a member of Calvary, you don't belong to me. 
You belong to Jesus. You're the sheep of his pasture. You follow him and how he leads you. And we need to stand with other brothers and sisters. You need to talk to other. Did you know you're allowed to talk to people from other churches? (laughs) That terrifies other people. Not me. Why? Because I know the church down the street is not the competition. There is one church that we're looking to plunder. It is the church of Satan. It has more members in Citrus County than any other church. And I can promise you, whether it's Church of God, Baptist, Lutheran, Church of Christ, they are not my competition. And I make no apologies about plundering the kingdom of Satan to bring people out of darkness into his glorious light. And so we're going to gather with brothers and sisters and we are going to reach purposefully so the whole world can see we're one and they can know that God sent Jesus now listen let me get let me get real practical because we only have a minute there's other places you can gather I've been 20 plus years on campuses with fellowship of Christian athletes preaching to students right now there's two places I know of that could probably use your support and help like never before. There are two pregnancy centers in Inverness run by Barb Gosa and Stephanie Bell. They're incredible, making all kinds of difference in women who are in crisis pregnancy moments and under the most assault more than ever before. And what you carry would make a difference if you listened to God and said, I'm going to go and make a difference there. Can I just tell you, that's how we go. That's how we reach where we think, wow, you know, what if this thing is really bigger than just our assembly? What what if we really did carry the cross to the community? So we gather, and then we go. We have to go. I want to read to you the scripture, Luke 10. I'm going to finish with this. Verse 2 says, Then Jesus said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The next breath, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Do you hear me? That the laborers that you're praying for, you must choose to become. When we pray that people would make a difference in the next breath, we can say, I'm ready to make a difference. I'm ready to make an impact for the kingdom of God. You say, well, somebody else may do that. Somebody else may share, preach, give, reach, burn for God. That that mindset perfectly describes the bystander effect. The bystander effect. That is where some people see an emergency situation and because they see a few other people, they exempt themselves of any responsibility to do anything. It is a a defined psychological and sociological effect that is literally happening everywhere and I see it happening as the church. And I want to say, church, it's time to end the bystander effect. 
When you hear about July 3rd water outreach, we don't think, oh, somebody else will do that. When you hear about Royal Family Kids Camp and, and being with kids for a week that, that, that need that help or Calvary Kids or Camp Impact, we don't just look as bystanders, oh, somebody else will do that. When we think we're feeding the homeless every week out in the community, connected to our food pantry, we don't think, oh, somebody else will do that. We have to say it's my time and my community, so I have to go. I have to go. I have to be the answer to the prayers and the cry of God's heart for this region.